I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! Gee! He's round the goalkeeper, he's done it! Absolutely incredible! He launched himself six feet into the crowd and Kung Fu kicked a supporter who was without a shadow of a doubt giving him lip. Jonathan Pierce's dubious neologisms. Football as a chess match goes too far. Gary Weaver's medieval world building is just getting a bit weird now. A deeper dive into the language of languishing. Is the championship in its most championshipy state right now? What comes before a Rolls Royce? A worrying new niche phrase in refereeing circles. And are we culturally ready for a Club World Cup? Brought to your ears by Goalhanger Podcasts. This is Football Clichés. Hello everyone, welcome to Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry, this is the final adjudication panel of 2023. So, naturally, we have, first of all, Charlie Eccleshare, how's it going? Very well, thank you. And Dave Walker, how you doing? Yeah, very good. Little tour update for you. Union Chapel, the London finale is sold out. Well, it is sold out, Charlie, but it's also the same night as Arsenal versus Porto. What percentage of that crowd do you think are going to be pulling out? Slightly depends on the first leg. I think we need to be rooting for a really comprehensive first leg win for Arsenal, which might then make some Arsenal fans think, ah, it's, you know, I'm not, I won't be missing much. It'll be a non-event in the second leg. I'm intrigued to see whether there's anyone out there, if they are a particularly ardent supporter of both Arsenal and cliches, could they do both? Seeing as the proximity of the Union Chapel to the Emirates... You could do the first half of the cliché show and then leave at quarter past eight when we go off stage for half time and leg it down to the Emirates for the rest of the game. Mm. <laughs> you could be there for about half eight. That's one option. Maybe we should address the game in real time. Maybe we should get like um, a slightly more peripheral cliches figure to just sit in a little booth and do the kind of um, soccer Saturday light duty that they have on Sky Sports News. Nick Miller would do it. <laughs> yeah. Goal of the Emirates. <laughs> Nick, which way is it gone? Oh, get him involved. We'd love to. We'd love to. Um, elsewhere in tour news, uh, Charlie, the old rep theatre in Birmingham have uh, have tweeted that we've they've opened their balcony for us. Such is the demand for tickets. A whole new tier of crowd. That ro- the roof is going to go off that place, isn't it? It really is, yeah. The footballing equivalent there of people crawling up onto grassy knolls to try and watch... Uh watch the game like an, an, an FA Cup tie yeah we, we should be picking venues Dave that have sort of nearby trees that people can climb just to, <laughs> to make sure they get a good view best seat in the house you could do um, the open air theatre in Regent's Park oh would you do an open air one in the, <laughs> the summer acoustics yeah. think about it might work the tech what if it gets rained on you'd go spare you'd go potty right if you do want to join us for any of our live shows Glasgow Manchester Birmingham Dublin Leeds Bristol but not London sold out uh, go to my ticket .co.uk or maybe the black market will be rife for Union Chapel who knows they'll probably be going for six figures that's a lot isn't it actually (laughs) (laughs) I'd be surprised (laughs) that is silly money (laughs) didn't think about it didn't think it through Um, right we've got a lot of thinking to do now it's the adjudication panel right Alex Brotherton 
gets in touch with this. I spent a lot of time trying to track this down by watching the game back in full, but I ran out of patience, Charlie. But he says, while commentating on Lille versus PSG, Jonathan Pierce clarified his use of the word assists with as they're called these days. What did assists used to be called? Pre-goals? Just simply pass? Has he done this before, Piercey? Uh, I don't not I can't remember that one exactly. Feels about right. I mean, I think maybe what he's getting at is that the kind of obsession with them is a is a new thing, which maybe is accurate. They they are talked about now more than they used to be, probably. No question. But how much of a neologism is assist, Dave? When did assist sort of appear in the mainstream? I I genuinely cannot pinpoint it. It's hard to sort of extract them from FPL, really. Because they're so important in that it's become such a thing. That plus Opta, the rise of Opta and Fantasy Premier League, I suppose, are the two th- sort of driving thrusts behind the rise of the the assists in in that way. Because I don't remember, you know, when you see like Kevin De Bruyne broke the assist record a few few years ago, and previously was held by Henri, was it? I think he leveled it. Yeah. yeah, I don't remember. No, no one at talks the time, about that at talking the time. about Henri's assisting. Yeah, exactly. Oh, really? So you're sure of that? Are you? Well, no, but I mean, I can't remember it. In mainstream discourse, I mean, maybe it's partly because he scored loads as well, but it wasn't, and so it wasn't what he was known for. But I really don't think people were talking about, oh, Henri's broken the record, because that season as well, remember, he was going for the golden boot with Van Nistelrooy, and Van Nistelrooy got it on the final day. So that was more the kind of preoccupation. I do think as well, assist as well, as well as those Opta and FPL, then had the poster child of assists with the arrival of Meza Ozil, which happened at a similar sort of time. I feel like he was the first player where... There was a real obsession with his assist numbers. You're both focusing on kind of the sort of um, tallying aspect of this, you know, Opta and FPL kind of keeping a re- running record of this stuff. But when did this noun itself appear? When did an assist become a thing? It, that must have predated its kind of standard collating, its codifying, surely. But I, I not think by much. Uh, I think it's always been there. Right. In the sort of... The assist. Who first coined it? Well, sorry, always been there in the years I've followed football since the mid-90s. Oh, really? I think so, yeah. Okay. I don't know how much it would have been used, but I'm pretty sure it's always been the there. Assist. I can't even remember the first time I might have heard it. It's never been on any of my goals videos. I'm telling you that right now. Never. So that rules it out up to about 1987. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we'll dig into that at a later date, I reckon. Here's a bit of lovely club in-house commentary for you this came from Connor Armstrong this is Southampton scoring their second goal against Blackburn the other day immortalised thus it's almost like a game of chess as <laughs> Russell Martin side just play it amongst the pawns and wait for the rooks and the bishops to make their move and here comes the queen and it's played in as a chance here for Southampton and it's 2-0 now don't <laughs> mind the <laughs> don't mind the extended metaphor too much Charlie but my fear is if that goal and and it was a very tidy goal um, but if that goal would say become good enough to be included in a sort of end of season montage and they cut it off with here comes the queen (laughs) that's just going to lose all meaning (laughs) does work out very nicely for him you rarely hear that yeah lacking the payoff though Dave I kind of expected it to be rounded off in fairly obvious fashion but you know he didn't he didn't do it (laughs) Yeah, I, I mean, where would you go with it? What is the sort of final flourish you could give it after going that far? It was a bold move to to continue it to the point where the, yeah, with the here comes the queen line. But then I just think, probably quite wisely, to be honest, just think, yeah, slip back into normal mode. What, you, what, well, you think he was tempted for a checkmate or something like that? Yeah. That's what I thought was coming. Yeah. I assumed it was coming. Commentators love rounding stuff off like this, but this is a good opportunity for us to address the football is a bit like chess 
analogy quite directly, Charlie. Stuart Armstrong there scoring Southampton second against Blackburn after 64 minutes. So not putting the game to bed, but certainly giving Blackburn a mountain to climb. So it's no, is it checkmate? No, because checkmate, there's no coming back from checkmate. Is it check? Check, yeah. <laughs> right. It is yeah. check, isn't check it? It's really good. Well, actually. Yeah, yeah. 64th minute, 2-0 up. Have some of yeah. that. <laughs> what are you going to do now? You're fucked. And that's check. <laughs> that is check, isn't it? That's I check. don't even know what check is in chess, but I know it's the preliminary state to being checkmate and that's what you want it's when you're in a position where you're threatening the king but the king has a move it can get out somewhere 2-0 is a dangerous scoreline etc etc oh excellent really does work the chess analogy lives on I'm not quite I'm not quite sure how happy I am with playing amongst the pawns at the back the pawns always I mean they sometimes are depending on the game state but generally speaking the pawns would go forward first the defenders being in the back four I don't know I don't, they're not pawns well so por- do pawns more sort of defend from the front well at the start of the game yeah you have to um, move them first I'll choose my words carefully here what's the pawniest football <laughs> position is it full back still yeah as, as, as crucial as they have now become tactically are they still full back well or yeah. is it a sort of defensive central midfielder or, or, or a, a, an attacker who's primarily there to defend a kind of really hard work you know either pressing pull, forward yeah could have pulled oh, like a Paul Dickov or someone like that or an Andy Ashley Johnson Barnes. Ashley Barnes or or a winger whose job is kind of primarily just to run up and down and work hard Dirk Coy a deluxe pawn yeah you can't be too tall to be a pawn Okay, <laughs> literally, Dave. A little <laughs> flourish there at the end of 2023. Right. Um, let's uh, let's talk about events over at the City Ground. Steve Cooper has he been shabbily treated, Charlie? I haven't seen the phrase shabbily treated in the last 24 hours since his uh, sacking was announced. Um, that seems to be going out of fashion. <laughs> Have you not? Yeah, that that is surprising. He has been uh, shabbily treated, though. I mean, if you if you want to you know, address the threshold. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because it's always like they're kind of, you know, it's, it's not a fitting way for them to go. I mean, but, but there's no really fitting way to go. I, I guess the the statement wasn't deemed to be kind of as warm as it should have been. That's what that's one of the aspects of being shabbily treated. There's very much a um, an element of everybody going through the motions with this clearly very acrimonious kind of departure, Dave. Uh, the club statement wishing him well for the future, thanking him for his efforts and welcoming him back to the city ground in the future. None of which I think, I feel like, I mean, the thanking for the efforts is probably quite sincere, but the rest of it just feels like, oh, we've got to say it because it's probably in the contract somewhere. Yeah, it's it's just one of those where everyone's kind of known it was going to happen at some point for so long. It's a strange one because Forest fans are so up in arms about it, but all the, at the same time... Some very emotional vox pops outside the city ground. Yeah, yeah. A friend of mine got in touch about that. The, the going to the uh, going to the ground to kind of uh, when, when something big like this happens, it's quite an interesting phenomenon. Because so you think people deliberately go there? They're not just people who happen to be milling around any stadium at that point, no, heading I into don't... the club shop because they're always clutching a club shop bag. Well, there's, I... the, at the big clubs, they certainly are. They're much more touristy. There's always one Irish person on the vox pop. <laughs> we <have you> noticed. <laughs> I hadn't noticed that, but I'll take your word for it. No, I, I think they've gone specially. I can't believe there are that many people just milling around. It feels maybe there were some go- there, but then but then word gets out that the maybe people want to go and 
they they know they because they want to be on a vox pop yeah on Sky they know, Sports News that's they know, what it is they know they can vent and sort of get their opinion across safe space is it the same energy then as like going to lay some flowers when a club <laughs> legend passes away basically yeah it's the same kind of news cycle if you think about it so it might not be quite as serious but yeah I can kind of see why you would would make that kind of low-key pilgrimage. This sounds like a cheap joke, but Dave, have you ever been to the Vic when a Watford manager's gone? <laughs> no. No, I haven't. I, I don't... <laughs> <laughs> I don't recall there being too many Vox Pops outside the Vic, to be honest with you. It's not a very Vox Poppy area. They're recording a Vox Pop and say, just use this one again next time. <laughs> I, I haven't mentioned any names. I've kept it generic. Exactly. Well, I mean, this, I suppose the true test of this would be just for uh, someone just to pop down, just take a random ground at any time, go down on a Tuesday afternoon and just see if anyone's there. Just keep like, saying the same one each time. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> you know, the results weren't good. We know that. But we loved it. You know, he, he was great with the fans. And, and yeah, he had a real belief going with the players. I can't believe if you go to the city ground on any random Tuesday, there'll be that many people. No way. They were there. No. They were there. They were mourning. And it's a, it's a really interesting convention. That I, it, I quite like the fact that it's still lived on. <laughs> the last theory I'll posit here, Charlie, is that older the ground, the more bustly its perimeter is likely to be. Because bigger stadiums are going to have sort of, you know, fenced off perimeters. Yeah, that's probably fair. Like Goodison, there's just going to be people coming out of their houses. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about it? Don't know, I don't know. <laughs> Getting doorstepped for, vo- for Vox Pops. <laughs> I mean, do you remember there's that amazing one as well where Newcastle, when they sell Andy Cole... People go and descend on Kevin Keat. Where is he? Is he coming out? Is he? It's the steps it, outside St. James's, yeah. Is it outside, is it, so it's outside the stadium. It's yeah, not even outside the training sure. ground. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's um, uh, that's great. That's selling a player and, and there are people descending descending on him. To yeah, if, if your stadium's vent. got perimeter steps, there's something bad is going to happen <laughs> at some point. Somebody's going to have showdown talks. It's just, it's like a, an amphitheatre. It's set for it. Um on this Forest managerial merry-go-round, Dave, um, the BBC tweeted, Nottingham Forest have their man, as it was announced that Nuno Espirito Santo has taken over immediately from Steve Cooper. James Randall writes in and says, they've been acting like they've been chasing him for months. We only knew about his appointment yesterday. This isn't a have their man situation, <laughs> is it? No way. It's not been a protracted public no. pursuit. <laughs> Nice. Which is interesting, by the way, because that normally ties into treating a manager a manager shabbily when it's been trailed for a long time that they're kind of flirting with his replacement. That's normally a kind of prerequisite for that. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm not having this as... Um, this is a similar t- subject to um, a player getting his goal, Charlie. There's, it's, it's such an obvious delineation between it being acceptable and not acceptable. And uh, that's crossed it. That's crossed it. We had a lovely comeback on this podcast for Gary Weaver's commentary at the weekend. He topped it. He so topped this. On uh, on Monday night, Birmingham versus Leicester, as the full-time whistle went at St Andrews, Leicester creating themselves quite the buffer at the top of the championship between them and the other promotion hopefuls. Gary Weaver going above and beyond. Another step back towards Premier League paradise for Leicester City. The pace is relentless. The prize is priceless. Tonight, they go 13 points clear of third spot. They are just increasing the gap between themselves and the playoff places. They are building a wall and a moat around their position. (laughs) I'm sorry. Why is he so fucking obsessed with castles? What is it? (laughs) What is it? Moat. Does you can build them at home with cushions all the time? <laughs> and they have lifted up the drawbridge at the beach. I'm sure he's building sandcastles. You can do really good moats uh, <laughs> when build, build, building sandcastles. <laughs> a moat. That's the first time anyone has ever, ever suggested a moat 
in any footballing situation, surely. Imagine um, being on holiday and you just hear Gary Weaver. <laughs> just You're on the beach and you just hear distant Gary Weaver just over there and look over and he's building sandcastles with his kids. And he's made a flag out of, of a small twig and some and some leftover underpants. <laughs> and it, <laughs> Right. Potentially easy one for you now, Dave. Philip Taylor writes in and says, at 2-1 after the first three penalties in Tuesday night's Everton versus Fulham shootout, the commentator claimed advantage Everton. Surely you can't claim advantage when not a single penalty has been missed and it's in the middle of a round of penalties. So they just happen to be 2-1 up. That's not advantage Everton, is it? No, I think you would say advantage Everton if the fourth penalty was missed. Yes. Well, then so they're, they're 2-1 up. And it's advantage Everton. They've got the, the penalty in hand. To, to borrow from tennis, I mean, advantage obviously in that sense is used in this way because you haven't won the game but you have a lead that if you can then capitalise on it, that converts into a game. Or even if you think how games work, don't think you say advantage necessarily, but you are putting the pressure on. If you lead, say, 5-4 in games, mm. or you're 4-3 up, you're 3-2 up, it's on serve, but you're just keeping that pressure on. But advantage is maybe a little strong even, even there. I'm not sure you'd say that. So if we're happy that saying advantage Team X when they've essentially got one up in a penalty shootout mm. by virtue of the other team missing one. I feel like that's still the perfect time to use it. You don't want to use it too late. I feel like it's kind of a preliminary state in a penalty shootout when the other team have missed early on mm. and you don't want to go too fast. It's like advantage team X, can they kind of capitalise on it? Yeah. But you wouldn't use it if it was like two kicks to go, for example. No, you wouldn't necessarily... Yeah, you wouldn't use it if it puts them, puts them on the verge of winning the shootout. Next up, Liam gets in touch, Charlie, and says, you mentioned languishing on Tuesday's pod, but what's the highest position you can languish? Hmm. I mean... This is a, this is a cross-divisional thing as well, so you can you can choose any of the 92. Well, or I was going to say, if you're in somewhere like Scotland, if you're Celtic, you can probably languish... I mean, third? I know that sounds ridiculous, but you, if you'd be saying like they're doing, you know, because that's all, when would they ever be in third? Like that's so, I know that's an extreme example. I mean, I mean, but it's like not a bad shout because Liam did ask, is it relative to the club? And that would be the most extreme example of that in action, wouldn't it? But Celtic languishing in third? Yeah, I can sort of imagine it. You know, Manager X has been sacked. They've gone out of Europe early. They're languishing in third in the Scottish Premiership. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay, now you've given the lovely sort of Eccleshare style context. I am actually on board with it. Okay, but in the real world, Dave, how high can you languish? I think in the Premier League, I mean, Chelsea are 10th, even 10th, languishing in 10th, I suppose. Add a bit of context in there, that is a good languish. Yeah. And they've been there for a while now. It would be better if it were, if they were even a few places lower, like in 12th, languishing in 12th. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah lower half too does close. feel better. Yeah, yeah. Lower half of mid-table does feel better. Um, Liam continues, Charlie, and says, Moreover, lovely word, uh, who are the languishingest club? I can't look past Everton, especially this season, or maybe even Birmingham. Birmingham are very languishing. Birmingham, yeah. We don't want to get this conflated with um, Sleeping Giants. I think that's a slightly different thing. You, you languish, then you then it evolves into a Sleeping Giant. It's like kind of everything sort of crystallises and it, it fossilises, if you like, mm. and you become a Sleeping Giant. But languishing is a phase before that. So it's it's teams who are below where they should be and not really in the process of sorting it out, but aren't quite yet in a kind of decade-long malaise. Do, do Palace languish? I mean, they're always... The joke with them is they're always in 12. No, 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 they don't languish. That's because where they should be. They've got no aspirations to be you more than it's that. It's not underachievement, so it's just... They're sort of fine there. 
No, what they're do not they do? <laughs> they just sit, sort of sit there. I mean, uh, uh, off the top of my head, I mean, Dave's onto something here. He, Dave's saying that they've got no aspirations to be higher than that, which is a little bit harsh. But what I would say is Palace are probably the only Premier League team that come to mind who have never declared, you know, we're looking, you know, we want to kick on from here. We get to the European places. We're looking at Champions League football in the future with some new investment. I think they're not the only club who haven't bothered with that shit. It's like, yeah, do you know what? <laughs> but, then, I don't, I don't, but I don't see them as particularly kind of um, championshipy upstarts either. They are a Premier League club. It's just that they're all right there. I'm fine there. It's, and that's all right, I think. So they could be languishy, but then but then they don't sort of satisfy the kind of down heel criteria either. Yeah. No, it's too it's too much of a, of a pejorative term, really, for, for for a club like Palace. You have to, to languish. You have it has your your sort of default state has to be considered to be being up there. Right. This next question from Hannes Reed might add some flesh to those bones. He says, "I've just realised how perfectly championshipy the current championship table is. Every single team, with the exception of maybe Ipswich and Plymouth, are exactly where they should be. Big hitters: Leeds, Leicester, Southampton." Yo-yo clubs, West Brom, Sunderland, and the odd surprise package, Ipswich, Preston, at the top. Mid-table, full of teams with big ambitions, flattering to deceive, Watford, Middlesbrough, Norwich. And the bottom is made up of smaller teams, Rotherham, teams promoted from League One, Plymouth, Sheffield Wednesday, and the ultimate component of the Skybet Championship, the teams just having an absolute stinker, QPR, Stoke, Sheffield Wednesday again, (laughs) hashtag natural order. Um, It's great to see a division sort of settling into, like when you shake a tray of something and everything just settles into its rightful order. That's how the championship should be. Great observation throughout here uh, from Hannah's Reed, Charlie. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, Watford in ninth, is that, should they maybe be, I'd probably put them in kind of the playoff positions. To be fair, despite our recent upturn in form, Hannes, um, we do qualify as uh, teams with big ambitions flattering to deceive. I would I would say that's bang on, especially alongside Middlesbrough and Norwich. Dave, I particularly like the teams just having an absolute stinker section, like, you know, sub-languishing, basically. Teams that are really just what the fuck are you doing? Sort yourselves out. And QPR <laughs> are very often that team, I feel. And Sheffield Wednesday, actually. Yeah, although both both recently appointed new managers sort of trying to get out of there. But I was, I was thinking that as we were talking about languishing, actually, I do feel like the, the fact that you've got more teams in the championship means that that lower mid-table part of the championship is, is ripe for languishing. Yeah. Like not I in the it, bottom four, but like between... Yeah, there's a lot of space to languish. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. I think that's it. There's just so much room find yourself a little corner when you know people won't notice you for a bit and then they realize you're languishing i completely agree this was very interesting too we, we talked about rolls royces a lot possibly too much on this podcast charlie uh, listener mark cox got in touch says uh, jamie redknapp uh, on punditry duty for chelsea versus newcastle has identified the level below rolls royce when talking about sven botman he called him a thoroughbred. Mm. Now, I really like this. I mean, first of all, um, is it a step below Rolls-Royce? I think it might be because it's it, it's it's kind of like an emerging Rolls-Royce. Someone who has like, the physical capability to be a Rolls-Royce, but maybe hasn't just had the, the length of service. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not exactly comparing like for like. I like, right. I like the, <laughs> the idea of a Rolls-Royce and a thoroughbred being... Sort of in exactly the same category, but Horsepower. yes, clear, clear, yeah, clearly I know what you mean in, in footballing terms. A thoroughbred, but I think a thoroughbred is more of a focus on the physical. Yes, I, I do think that's that's what you're talking about, isn't it? That it's a kind of it's a physical what is a specimen. Thoroughbred? 
just a well-bred racehorse. Oh, just a well-bred horse, a purebred horse. In my head, I thought it meant like it's just an old horse who's been around for ages. No, no, that makes no sense so whatsoever. I, th- I, I, I could be wrong, but I'm, I'm, I think basically every horse that races is a thoroughbred. Okay. I think certainly, like certainly, the, certainly the these days the, the best ones. Yeah, the yeah. elite at this at this level. Uh, uh, the, yeah, exactly. Uh, whereas, as we've spoken about before many times, Rolls Royces, it's not just about the the physicality. So I think, so I think, may, yeah, maybe that it, this makes sense. This is for those players who have the physicality. They're not quite yet at that kind of premium sleekness of a Rolls Royce. And I don't know if you, you know, can you teach that? Could Sven Botman become a Rolls Royce? Possibly. Oh, I don't really know enough no about question. it. No question. He's got he's got all the ingredients. But um, I think we we can start to identify a kind of little um, pyramid of this now. Rolls Royce at the top, thoroughbred just underneath it. Then I would, underneath that I would go future England captain, just by virtue of being young and massive. And then under that, just a strapping lad. Well, I mean, a unit. Where does that fit? Because that I don't think a unit. I think a unit. It'll be harder to become a, to graduate to Rolls Royce from a unit. Yeah. Because I think if you're if you're describing someone as a unit, you're kind of saying all they have is physicality. Yeah. Phil Whereas Jones is probably necess- the closest who's ever achieved unit and Rolls Royce honours. And even he was a long, long way from ever becoming a Rolls Royce. And he was a future England captain and almost certainly has been described as a strapping lad at some point in his life. So, uh, an unusual candidate to win the Grand Slam ever. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> right, let's round off the first half of the adjudication panel with this one. It came from Tom. It's a report about um, Real Madrid's David Alaba going under the knife for his cruciate ligament. It says Real Madrid confirmed that Alaba suffered a rupture of the anterior cruciate ligament in his left knee. It is thought that the trusted doctor will likely be the Austrian Christian Fink, who has previously operated on Leroy Sane and Manuel Neuer and who has been described as, quote, one of the best knee surgeons of all time. <laughs> all time! What a ridiculous thing to add on the end. I reckon there'll be a couple of ancient Greek medical aces out there going, well, I did it first identify the meniscus. <laughs> is it a necessary thing to add on? I mean, yeah, I don't know what exactly what your criteria is, but he must have, you know... Just say around. In the world. I mean, the problem is as well, like anything, it's, you know, comparing like for like. Like with footballers, technology's advanced so much. How can you compare Pele with Messi? And same with these knee surgeons. I'm sure, I'm sure probably he is the best, but he's got access to far better equipment. So I've never heard of him before. How, how are you comparing them? Never. You've never heard of him. And if I've not heard of him. <laughs> it's, it's bad news for uh, Dr. Richard Stedman. Well, he's had worse news because he died. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, fair enough. But for his legacy, <laughs> grim reading for Richard Stedman. <laughs> Where's he from? Uh, Colorado. Yeah, love that. Love that. If you don't know where high-end knee surgeons are from, what are you even doing here on this podcast? Anyway, well done to Christian Fink. May you continue to fix knees. Right, that's half time for the adjudication panel. We'll be back very shortly. Welcome back to the adjudication panel, the very final one of 2023. And I've got a semi-serious subject to discuss with Charlie and Dave. It's about the 2025 Club World Cup. More or less announced this week the kind of format of it all and how it's all going to unfold in 2025 in the US. Um, 32 teams. This competition is going to run every four years um, after that. All the confederations involved. So it's basically a World Cup. Of clubs. Now, we can get our heads around it, Dave, but while a lot of chat is going to be going on on more boring podcasts about the burnout of footballers and 
are they playing too much football? Are we asking too much of these? They've got to run him into the ground. What I want to talk about is how is this going to catch on culturally? Are we ready in our headspace? for a Club World Cup. How do you feel about it? It is weird, isn't it? Because we're just so used to the Club World Cup being this thing that just occasionally we see an English team going over to in December or January or whatever. And it's it's a sort of, it's, it's kind of framed as an inconvenience a lot of the time, even though the clubs themselves will talk very earnestly about how important it is and stuff. It's They're just going to be here to win it, believe you me. <laughs> it's going to be this hard matters. for us to initially at least I think to take it seriously and they'll because there will also be I'm sure it's going to come pre-packaged with that sort of FIFA sheen over it whilst you can get away with it in the in the international traditional World Cup because of the history but when you haven't got the history but you've got that FIFA glossiness it's going to feel inauthentic initially I think I mean clearly FIFA are trying Charlie to turn this into a big thing but what I would say about it I mean I, I don't want to I don't want to seem like I'm being open-minded about the idea I do want to lay into it if we absolutely have to but this feels like it could be quite a long overdue concept this could have happened at any time in the past and then by now we'd all been completely sort of acclimatised to it and think it's a great idea and it couldn't live without it. Uh, yeah, well, I think that's it. I think if it had come before and it was just part of the calendar, it'd be like, well, yeah, got to factor it in. Now, b- because there is such little space, it, do- it does feel ridiculous. But this is exactly the sort of tournament, like on and old, when I was playing computer games as a kid, I would have loved this sort of thing and you could customise your own tournaments and make, make a Club World Cup would seem like so much fun. Picking those 32 teams, basically the best part of the process, even yes. better than playing it. Like that, making yeah. sure you've got the right ones. It's yeah, so good. Yeah, and you get that blend and yeah. it's not too many Europe. You can't, and you'd set yourself an arbitrary limit. I can't have too many European cups. Absolutely. So, so there is that kind of, yeah, that kind of fantasy appeal to it. I mean, I wonder how much it will be because it's going to be like mid-June to mid-July, I think. Mm-hmm. So I wonder how much it will be, will players be rested for it? Like how seriously a club's going to take it? Will it be kind of like a preseason tour sort of vibe? So this, I've, I've factored that into my thoughts here, especially given it's going to be the first edition of it and people are going to be a little bit sort of tiptoeing around it as a concept, Dave. I predict that it will have the veneer of a World Cup. It'll, it'll get, you'll get the full promotion and it'll have slogans and it'll have a nice big trophy and it'll have all that sort of stuff. All the furniture you'd expect of a World Cup. But the actual practical vibe of it will be very much like the International Champions Cup, that kind of pre-season jolly around the US, which had no structure, had a league table that no one cared about. And I feel like it will have that kind of mentality. It'll be very hard for teams to suddenly take it seriously really quickly. Culturally, I mean. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think you're right. I think, I think there will be something visually... Sitting down to watch the matches, I think because just the brand, there'll be the branding and there'll be, it, it will probably look like a World Cup. So there's some, there might be some sort of subconscious muscle memory that'll kick in with us and we'll sort of sit up and take notice. Whereas if you show me, if you show me a clip of an International Champions Cup, even if they, I just instinctively know that it's not worth bothering about. Charlie, the kind of consensus of the standard quality between club football and international football is that club football has better interplay. They're more attuned to each other. So this tournament could have a better standard of football in theory, or at least, you know, interplay between players. But will it kind of, on the other hand, will it kind of lack that purity of a World Cup? It doesn't have that same, doesn't, you don't look at it and go, well, these are the, these are the, they're representing their countries. It's just going to be a bunch of teams playing, playing against each other, which lacks that kind of novelty. 
Yeah, and I do think there'll be there probably will be quite a disparity in quality between the best teams and the kind of also rounds, which will mean any more think, than a normal World Cup. Yeah, I think a little bit. Okay, partly maybe. Yeah, I just think now like the that that gap is there. Even you know you look at the, the just the resources the Premier League clubs have yeah, fair compared enough. even to other clubs in Europe, and they're able to squad build in a way that countries can't do in quite the same way. Countries can get lucky or unlucky with kind of having loads of players in the same position or whatever. So I do think that. Will and, and that's why I think there might be, you know, resting players in group games and that sort of thing might happen. Dave, I mentioned earlier that, you know, there's eminent potential retrospectively that this this competition could have been conceived 50 years ago and we'd now be thoroughly enjoying it. So I thought I'd kind of reverse engineer this concept for any naysayers out there and say, well, OK, if this happened in 1995, this would be a cross section of the teams involved. Red Star Belgrade, Barcelona, Marseille, asterisk, Milan, Real Madrid, Porto, Ajax, Juventus, Colo Colo, Sao Paulo, Velez Sarsfield, River Plate, DC United, Zamalek, Adelaide City and Thai Farmers Bank. That sounds amazing. It does sound really good. good. Yeah, and I think that's that's sexy. One of the the potential of of this expanded format is to compare it to the current format, which we've been used to, which sees what a four-team kind of semi-final, two semi-finals and a final in in a space of like a week or so, it, it just feels it feels too tin pot. It feels too pre-seasony. It it's like pot. small pre-seasony tournament in the middle yeah. of the season, and also it it can lead to unsatisfying combinations. Whereas when you've got the potential for all of those teams, a much wider group of teams, you might get some really interesting matches that we've just never seen before. I've, I've, I would love Absolutely. to see Liverpool play Boca Juniors Absolutely. in a competitive fixture. Very good point. I mean, as you say, Charlie, you could go on a computer game now and you could you could pair together any team you like. But in real life, so many teams seem to play the same teams all the time. And this could be a great antidote to that. Um, I'll give you a 2005 edition of this tournament. Bayern Munich, Real Madrid, Milan, Porto, Valencia, Barcelona, Liverpool, Manchester United, Boca Juniors, Santos, Olympia of Paraguay, Once Caldas of Colombia, Sao Paulo, Sydney FC, Suwon Samsung Blue Wings, Mamelodi Sundowns, Raja Casablanca, and Yimba of Nigeria, and Etoile du Sahel of Tunisia. Fucking great tournament. We'd be glorified, you know, we'd be looking back misty-eyed at these... Uh... Of these tournaments. I mean, I saw something recently. I think it was before the '98 World Cup draw. There was a Europe versus rest of the world game, like All Stars game. It looked amazing. Now, obviously, that could never happen now with, as you say, all the burnout. Because you know, what if someone pulled their hamstring or something playing in that game? But I was like, that would be so fun if you could have that. I mean, again, complete fantasy stuff. But I feel like this tournament is going to scratch a lot of hitherto unthought of itches. I think, but. The proof of this, Dave, of how effective this tournament will be straight away is surely on the media coverage of it. How seriously are the media outlets going to cover this tournament? And I instinctively think they could, they feel like everyone's going to feel like they're going to have to cover this properly, like an actual World Cup. And the true test of this is, will it be one of the crown jewels as decreed by the Broadcasting Act of 1996? So what is that? It's it's World Cup. So it's Men's World Cup. I don't know if the Women's World Cup is in there yet, but I suppose it should be Wimbledon, Olympics. Six Nations, possibly? No, I think... But it's been on Sky before. Yeah, they've been talking about potentially losing the Six Nations. So I don't. I, I think basically the answer to the question is no. I don't think you're gonna. I don't think you can crash the party into the Crown Jewels Act just out, <laughs> out, out, out of nowhere. You would expect this, Charlie, to be a kind of Sky Sports TNT kind of affair. Oh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I guess, but I'm really curious as to where this is going to sit. I mean, could, oh, oh, I can sort. I know this will be controversial. I can sort of imagine Channel Four maybe having no, a game it does or feel two. Quite Channel Fourie. It does. 
can they handle it on their own? Maybe not on their own. E4. But I'm really str- <laughs> More for. Uh, Channel 5 getting in on the act after Poland, England in 97. That's like splitting a tournament between different countries. I'm not having it. <laughs> but I'm, re- I'm really curious to know where this will sit, but I don't think it'll be Sky. I mean, Sky don't do loads of European football. Well, I, I, maybe, but I, I, mean, I don't know what the overlap dates are at the moment but like won't there be a will there be a women's world cup on this summer because it's in the odd years you've got the women's world cup or women's euros so the bbc or itv that could they could kind of satisfy themselves with that and then this would give the opportunity for a sky or a tnt to kind of step in and just get some eyeballs on a time when they otherwise aren't going to have anything going on but then i think it'll be before well actually yeah it depends when the tournament depends when those major tournaments are because there have been some quite late, like Women's World Cup and Women's Euros. But it, but yeah, if if it's in a if it's when if it's in that kind of mid June July space, then yeah, it would clash directly. I think a good a good um, example for this would be the Nations League, which when it first came around and England were in like the the final in 2019, in the, well, in the in the the tournament finals in 2019, people sort of took it seriously, but then it hasn't kicked on at all now. Two two three years later, well, you know, four years later, like it's no one cares about it anymore at all. It had a chance, but it didn't it didn't take hold. No, it's a good idea in its own right for competitive games, but not as a tournament. No, definitely not. Um, final box to tick in terms of taking it seriously, Charlie. Am I going to watch say Benfica versus Auckland City? Am I going to be as compelled to watch that? all 90 minutes of it in the same way I'd feel compelled to watch, I don't know, Argentina versus Iceland in 2018. No, because no. I think uh, the, the reason why it's acceptable to do that is because we've sort of done that all our lives with the, with the World Cup. So it's kind of like... And it's so much more stark, Argentina versus Iceland, than Benfica versus Auckland. It's yeah. like, I don't care about either of these. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And now I'm making an active decision. Do I want to watch this? Whereas like Argentina and Iceland is like, well, I don't really have a choice. I just have to do this. This is what I've always done. I'm going to watch it. In other ways that this Club World Cup could go the full whack with this, Dave. David Fleming says, I hope all the clubs have to release a Club World Cup single. <laughs> Which would be good. You know, and it would almost, you know, going revi- over there to bring it back. Yeah, it would revive the format because really it is a bit of a dying art. And, and you'd yeah. think that, the, the um, you know, they have more harmony together. Mm. <laughs> yeah. the, the club teammates. <laughs> Love that. But there are, you know, there are more tedious aspects to World Cups that I would be fascinated to see whether they're emulated for this, Charlie. What about base camps? Are we going to care where Arsenal set up their base camp? Are they going to be sort of, wow, it's not ready yet, the hotel? Yeah, who's going to who's gonna be strictest about the wives and girlfriends? <laughs> you know, are they, is there going to be a controversy over a ball yeah. uh, that floats? Are there going to be mascots? Yeah. Gonna, there there surely will be. be an official, uh, I mean, it'll be it'll be horribly kind of fifery, but there, there will be one. Are they going to play pre-tournament friendlies? <laughs> Against teams that haven't qualified from, from the same country. <laughs> from similar nations, yeah. Oh, my goodness. The mind boggles. I mean, there's so much potential here, but I just don't know how much energy everybody's got to give this the full treatment. So I, I really don't hope, from a football consumer perspective, I hope it doesn't fall between two stools. I want it to be good, you know, because I want more good football. I, I, I don't want players to be knackered and that sort of stuff, but I do want more good football. And I feel like this could work. Every four years is good. It's good that they're not saying it has to be every two or anything, Charlie. They're not going for the overkill straight away. Every four years could be good. It could be good. Yeah. I fear if it is good, then they'll, they will quickly make it every two or yeah. <laughs> every, yeah. every one. We'll, we'll have two of them a year. It'll be fine. <laughs> we'll, we'll find the space. That'd be fine. Hamstrings will be fine. Everything's going to be fine. Right, next up. This next one comes from Henry Futcher. Uh, Our recent discussion about the possibility of a goalkeeper making a bad save got him thinking about what the lowest form of praise could be 
for a goalkeeper making a save. Could you rank these words and phrases, he asks Charlie, used to describe saves in order of which conveys the goalkeeper has to do the least work? So I'll give you the list and we'll run through them. Mm. Routine, easy, comfortable, bread and butter slash meat and drink, catching practice. First of all, are saves ever described as easy? Yeah, it was an easy one. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, I don't know why, but I... The pundit, the co-commentator that comes to mind when I'm thinking of this sort of stuff is Alan Smith. And I can just imagine him just casually looking over a replay, maybe like the second replay or something mm. when they kind of, he's had time, a little bit more time to look at it. And he goes, and in the end, yeah, 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 that's an easy one for the keeper. To get yeah. our heads around this, and then um, I think the best thing to do is run through each of them and, and, and try and visualise what kind of save we think it is. So what's, what is an easy save then, Dave? What's an easy save? What, what save would a co-commentator go out of his way to describe as easy? I I think a shot that is straight at the keeper but not but from a reasonable distance so it's not like one that they've sort of had to parry where they don't have to think about it it's one that whether it be at comfortable height or ro- along the floor where they just they've, they've seen it they've got a lot plenty of time to see it and they just gathered it they catch it's it barely even a save they're just basically collecting it they're gathering it yeah but it so is a one save step up from a gather because it's 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 it is a shot not not a very good shot, but it's on target, and they just it's just they're just down. They've gathered it, and it's kind of it's very easy. To, I was going to say, and it's kind of routine. So you know that's the whole point. Uh, but like, <laughs> there you go. Just gathering count as saving. You can gather a loose ball, but you could probably gather a really tame shot, Charlie. But that probably should count as a save. I mean, Opta, one for Opta to decide. Yeah, you do. You do hear that. I think gathered it up. Gathered it up. What's a routine save, Charlie? Well, obviously, routine and comfortable, I think, are pretty similar. Routine. Routine's definitely easier than comfortable. A routine one. I mean, again, they're not they're not parrying that. That is straight at them. I'd say maybe a routine save is one where they tip it over the bar, but in massively unspectacular way. Like, well, that's he sees it all the way. Uh, it's not uh, an issue for him. I had that exact thing in my mind, but I just wonder if that's more comfortable. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, because I tip over the bar. I know I just exactly saw it on its what way. you mean. Where it's Helped like it on its way. I've got to tip it over because I can't catch it. But it's yeah. this is this is straightforward. I'm just sort of it, it's not it's not in a court. It's fairly at me, so I can just sort of flick it up. I think routine is if you think about what they would be doing in training. What do you think? What is the sort of save that you imagine when you see a video of a goalkeeper being warmed up or or at a training session? Easy. So it's a save down to their left or right, but not far enough that they have to dive. So basically they have to plunge. They have to plunge and it's a shot from about 16 yards and it's not right in the corner and it just it just means they have to get down. And that to me is a routine save. So nothing, nothing too spectacular. They didn't have to get down particularly smartly. They just had to get down and save it and hold it. If they if if it, if it isn't held, Charlie, I don't think it could be routine. Yeah, I think all of these are routine, easy, comfortable. They're all uh, none Clutching. of them are parries. Yeah, a bread and butter save is bread and butter, meat and drink, and catching practice. Are they more related? So you know, like a cross, a cross that's a corner that's just tossed into the box. No one gets on it, and the keeper just comes and get. Uh, that's, that's that's meat and drink. That's meat and drink for that keeper. Mm. That's meat and drink. Yeah, catching catching practice. I actually heard a recent example i think it was when crystal palace played west ham and whoever was in goal for palace sam johnston i think and a high ball it it kind of looped up in the box and and 
Johnston just was able just to claim it high without yeah. any pressure on him. And the, the commentator said, and that's just catching practice for Sam Johnston. He, he, I bet he went up with one knee as well. Yeah. In that sort of yeah. classic, sort of yeah. Shilton-esque pose, mm-hmm. but successful. Um, okay, yeah, that's catching practice. Henry Futcher goes on to say, Charlie, are there any I've missed? Well, I did think that the goalkeeper could have thrown his or her cap on that was a contender, but I actually think that's more of a comment on the futile attempt from the opposition player than it is making a value judgment of the work of the keeper themselves. Very good observation and quite right too. That's true, although I think also like catching practice to an extent as well is used as a way of insulting uh, the attacker. And, oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's just catching practice for a keeper. As, meet and drink a little bit as well because as well as corners, it can just be hopeful crosses. And what you're saying is, I mean, that, that's meet and drink for a keeper like that. Yeah. You're, you're questioning why, why do they keep just crossing the ball? Whereas goalkeeper could have thrown their cap on it. it never gets the of that quality caveat. It is basically the shot was so tame that any goalkeeper in the world could have thrown their cap on it. Has anyone ever tried to do that? More difficult than it sounds, actually. <laughs> don't <laughs> I don't hear it say. very often anymore. No, you don't. It strikes me as a Jonathan Pierce potential line. Or a Jonathan yeah. Pierce's granddad. They could have had, they could have like a three-minute discussion on Five Live about how difficult is it to throw a cap on a <laughs> shot? That was John Murray, by the way. Right, next up, uh, Ian Davis gets in touch. Dave, it says, during Liverpool's Europa League dead rubber against Union SG, commentator Paul Dempsey commended Liverpool fullback Connor Bradley for dealing with the opposing winger by saying he has stuck to his task well. Presumably all 22 players on the pitch are given tasks by their manager, but it's only fullbacks who can stick to them. Well, I think this works on two levels, sticking to your task. You stick to your task in an isolated way, that is, fending off an opposition winger once. It's the start of the dribble, then the engagement with the fullback, and then the fullback will see it out for a goal kick, and that will be sticking to their task. And then, if they keep doing that multiple times against the winger, that's sticking to his task over the course of the game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think I think it, there's a micro and macro element to this. Yep. You could have... I could see it being said about a defensive midfielder who's been tasked with a man-marking job. Oh, I like And as sort of in a slightly out-of-the-ordinary way. But in this for this game, they've stuck to their task really well. But yeah, I think full fullback... It is a fallbacky thing, isn't it? Because it sort of implies that, in the wider sense, it implies that there are probably other things that the fullback would like to be doing. <laughs> yeah, but they they've they've knuckled down and stuck to work. their task. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, because you you're right. You wouldn't like a striker's task is to keep making runs. Would you use it? Because I th- it ha- it does have to be something unglamorous and something they wouldn't it has ideally to be defensive. do. But but it, yeah, but it could you say it for I don't think you would, but a striker who's basically just got to keep making keep making runs in behind, keep testing the defense, like because that's similarly repetitious and potentially quite boring. But you never would really, would you? You, you would never hear. Yeah, he stuck to his. Task he stuck well. to his task well of making no. lots of runs. It, no, it, it is it, it's such a defendery thing. It's almost irre- It's almost regardless of the ball. Like you're tracking a man or you're tracking danger, but you're never chasing it for your own purposes. Mm. I don't think because there's reward for an attacking task. There isn't yeah. really for a defensive task. Yeah, he scored so. four goals, stuck to his task of getting shots off and <laughs> scoring really, really that. well. <laughs> Messi stuck Patrick. to his task brilliantly last night. be <laughs> superb. Really, really mundane praise for a hat-trick <laughs> or a four-goal salvo. Superb. <laughs> I want to finish the adjudication panel with something very concerning indeed. We have these from time to time. Sort of entries into the football language, often from sort of rather niche corners where they've sort of built a language for themselves that concern me on a wider level that it might hit the mainstream. This came from Jack. His friend is a referee. It's been a while since he's refed, he says, and he just sent this message to me. The message reads as follows. It's been like three weeks 
since I've done a middle. Done a middle. Whoa. Done a middle. As in being in the middle. Bit. Yeah. The man in the middle. Wow. Done a middle. I mean, it's absurd, but Charlie, also think massively unnecessary. Like, you can totally understand how these things might seep into the vernacular of a certain niche little group, and then they sort mm. of become mm. more efficient in their language. But this is just nonsense. This is mad. He needs to work on his positioning, done a whistle, if, anything, if anything, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> done a whistle. Done you, a whistle. Uh, you're middling tomorrow, are you? <laughs> <laughs> that, that would make more sense, but it's still weird. Are you middling tomorrow? That could work. So is that for, that's from one ref to a non-ref. Do we know if the recipient is also a ref and that's kind of... No, the re- Jack himself is not a referee. He's not, not a referee. It's not okay, a ref lingo, like ref to ref lingo. Because I yeah. can sort, you know, we, we, when we've been let into their world with the VAR audio, I, I can sort of imagine that oh, that is yeah. how they talk to another. Yeah, you can. You can see, oh, great, great middling out there today. Yeah, yeah. You, you're middling tomorrow, or uh, you, you're the fourth. What's uh, what's your role then? <laughs> I'm, so, si- um, I'm siding tomorrow, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got back to Jack and said, like, can you ask him whether this is common usage? And Jack says, yeah, it's, it's commonly used within the referee's group chat. Wow. Down the middle. It just seems so over-engineered. Like, it, it has the opposite purpose of being more efficient, Charlie. It actually makes the whole thing far too unwieldy. Mm. But if it's probably developed organically, you hope really, anyway. I'm really annoyed that this has come to light only today. If this has been on last week, I would have had the opportunity to ask none other than Graham Pohl about it after, uh. I, after I spotted him in a pub I was in the other day. Holding really? court. He was holding court, having a great time by the looks of it. That story uh, in real time, backed up by a very grainy photo of Graham Pohl stood at the back <laughs> of that bar, which is a prerequisite for this sort yeah. of thing. If you see someone like that, you've got to take a picture of them. Yeah. Got to take a to. picture. Yeah. And like Graham Pohl, he did indeed look. Um, so, yeah, a cautionary note at the end of 2023's adjudication paneling. There's still work to do. There are still people out there trying to go rogue. Done a middle. Anyway. Right, the adjudication panel, that's it for 2023. We return on the 4th of January to start adjudication panelling once more. But it's not over for the year. We'll be back on Boxing Day, no less, with the Football Clichés Quiz 9. Hugely excited, defending my title. Opponent yet to be confirmed. You'll find out on the day. Well, great year. We had a bit of a break, but we're back. Well done, Charlie Eccleshare. Thanks very much. Thank you. Merry Christmas, Dave Walker. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you and, and Merry Christmas to all our listeners, of course, too. Oh, superb, lovely listeners. Great contributions towards the end of this year. We are in top, top form in our pomp, I believe. Have a great Christmas and uh, look forward to some Boxing Day quizzing. See you later. See you later.